In the spirit of Neurodiversity Week, we bring to you the topic of autism. As special educators, we embrace and champion the spectrum of differences and strengths within our students, while also finding creative ways to increase social competency, emotional regulation, and independence. To quote Michelle Garcia Winner, founder and CEO of Social Thinking, when we can imagine someone else's experiences or feelings as different from our own and understand they're no less important, we learn to sympathize and empathize. I'm Raleigh, she's Danielle, and this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Hi, everyone. That was quick music on your <laughs> That was a quick turn down. <laughs> you, were quick, you had a quick trigger finger on that one. <laughs> My bad. My bad. For all of you that wanted to hear more of um, Bright Futures, uh, you can check us out. Listen all the way through. Maybe I'll play it for longer at the end. <laughs> that was just, I didn't realize my volume would go down so well, fast. You know what? We never said you were the music person. <laughs> How was your week? My week's been pretty good. I mean, it was neurodiversity week, so that's exciting, right? Yeah, tell us. How did you celebrate? I mean, I think... We celebrated by uh, talking to groups of kids about neurodiversity, which I think is super important to have them understanding their own brains, but also the brains of those around them. I think that's really important for, you know, just kind of, again, that sympathizing, empathizing piece that is really so important. Um, I also feel rude that we didn't introduce the fact that Lauren's here. Oh, welcome back, Lauren. Welcome back, Lauren. Hello. How's your week going? (laughs) I am excited that it's the weekend, but it was a good week. Yeah. <laughs> we started MCAS this week, so it was oh, um, I... at our high school, so it was pretty busy. Yeah. So. We start next week. Pretty crazy. <laughs> so as we were thinking about this topic, I, of course, my nerd self decided to do some digging in neurodiversity, mm-hmm. and this concept is so cool and so f- flash forward, and I know we're going to talk more about autism today, but all the stuff well, I learned just simply around having a neurodiverse approach to teaching Mm -hmm. within general ed, within special ed is really, really, really interesting to me. Well, and should we kind of give a summary of what neurodiversity is for those that may not be in the know? Sure. I actually have a definition. Okay. (laughs) Are you surprised? (laughs) I like your Marvel notebook. (laughs) Thank you. It was on sale at CVS and I like thought, what better than a superhero because we're all superheroes for our students Mm -hmm. see how that see how that connection happened um okay so neurodiversity was coined in the early 90s by journalists harvey bloom and australian autism activist judy singer neurodiversity is defined as an understanding that neurological differences are to be honored and respected just like any other human variation meaning like your gender ethnicity race religion sexual orientation um and what i to summarize that i guess what i've learned is that you're celebrating your differences instead of focusing on your disability which i thought was really cool to help kids understand that everyone's brain works works differently um and then this article which i'll put out will put out on the socials Mm -hmm. it's Honestly, it had so much great information on it. But one thing that really caught my eye was the the, the concept of brain forests, um, which allows us to speak about diversity rather than um, it being a machine where the machine is turned on or off. When you think about a brain forest, you're thinking about that you're not focusing on the disorder, but the value of human variation and, and diversity in your neurology well and we were speaking to some of um you know in talking with students about some of their own neurodiversity and 
you know, you, you get kids who are very eager to volunteer that they may have a certain disorder, disability, whatever you want to call it, but then they'll chime in and say, but I'm really creative or I'm really good at, you know, music or I really am great at art. And so I think that's the other piece that we celebrate is that there are a lot of strengths that our students possess despite whatever disability category they fall under. And, you know, making sure that that's something that we um, build up and we support and we encourage um, as they move through school, but also recognizing that a lot of times, and you know, we're, we're specifically talking about autism today, and I think, you know, understanding that that social, social competency deficit is really important to be worked on in many places, that consistency of school and home, and as, as well as the regulation piece, and understanding that kids getting that more self-awareness about their, you know, areas that they need support with, areas that are strengths, how they use their strengths to support their weaknesses. And it's such a critical piece of understanding how to help these, you know, students and um, young adults even, you know, as they're getting to be teenagers, um, becoming, uh, speaking of, we talked about love on the spectrum, by oh, the way, yeah. Netflix, mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone out there has read, have seen that. Um, but, you know, going through and, and working through them themselves as children, as, as earlier childhood, and then kind of developing the skills they need to then proceed into adulthood and, and still needing some of that coaching, but also understanding maybe more that, that they are a little bit, you know, more well-regulated, more well-spoken, can communicate their needs um, a little bit more efficiently as they get older and can work with some of that um, more easily. So I think it all starts, we talked about how it has to start at a young age, um, that work that we do, and that it really needs to be across you know, domains across places. It can't just happen in school or it can't just happen at home or it can't just happen in the community. It needs to be happening in all places. Well, and I think too, um, you're really finding on learner strengths instead of remediating differences, which I think is really hard for teachers who are set in mm -hmm. their process, set in the curriculum frameworks, set in what they're supposed to be doing. I think about things that us as special educators know about naturally. So using a kid who's on the spectrum, using their interest and their mm -hmm. perseverations in a positive way by creating more project-based learning revolving around their interests. So if a student's interested in trains, why not, you know, have a math project on how fast certain trains go and what the difference is and how fast you can get places, you know, like really refocusing and reframing. Well, and I think too, when you start with the interest, you can work on the flexibility piece. So you can start with, let's just get you to the table thinking about however you know whatever the subject matter is or whatever the lesson is thinking about that through the lens that they're most comfortable and most can you know is most familiar with or feel more, most expert in less anxiety and then you start to introduce the topics and things that are less you know favorable or preferred for them um and and i think that's where a lot of the social thinking comes in as well which is so critical you know the social fakes are so important they may not be interested in the lesson that bubble you're teaching thoughts. bubble thoughts <laughs> but you know understanding that not everything in life is geared towards you and your interests and there's a wider range of people out there that we need to kind of have respect and consideration for um, Lauren, I feel like you did an awesome job setting up your classroom for our kids on the spectrum with a lot of those tools to help engage them with their interests and also help them teach them how to be social with other kids and take perspective. Yeah, I think, um, especially now, I think in the um, classrooms that I'm supervising, a lot of the teachers are gearing particular like breaks and lessons towards maybe Minecraft or Pokemon. Mm. But again, kind of going back to what you were saying, it, I, I see a lot of people 
give maybe a student like a math problem and it's like, oh, well, they can't do that. And it's like, oh, well, if we presented it in a different way that's adjusted to their interest, um, then you're going to see that they actually do have that ability. And then slowly introducing maybe if it's a word problem like a Pokemon. I'm not too familiar with Pokemon in <laughs> Minecraft, but, but I know Mew, I know Mewtwo's a very popular one. Oh, is it? Okay. What is it? You, Mewtwo. Mewtwo. Nah, I think it's just one hour. Um, <laughs> but that's a great example of also working with the student to create the, you know, maybe it's, hey, tell me your favorite Pokemon characters. And mm-hmm. then now they're having this conversation. And again, it starts with what are they interested in? It's very one-sided potentially. And you craft it around that. Yeah. And I see a lot of, I think, particularly Jenna teachers, no offense, but I would say, oh, or I would see this that okay, this kid, they can't do this. Like, they're not able to do it. Where it's, why don't you just adjust what you're teaching them? And then all of a sudden, well, they're actually really good at math or something. And then um, slowly introducing, um, if it's a word problem, maybe throw in like something that's not Minecraft related or um, that particular topic that they're really hyper-focused on. One out of the 10 questions isn't about that. And then maybe two out of the 10 isn't about that. Um, You know, these, this often is a long-term process. It's not something that you change overnight. Learning how to take perspective and thinking about someone else is a really challenging thing for our kids on the spectrum. It's just not what their brain is wired to do. They're thinking about themselves and it's not about a lack of caring or consideration or, you know, they're not they're not wishing bad things to happen. It's just they're thinking so much of themselves and what they're comfortable with because of that anxiety piece. It's such a a major stepping stone or hurdle of getting through that feeling of this is anxiety producing. I'm going back to the stuff that's comfortable. I think we all do that as humans, regardless of our diagnosis or how we present. We think about the things that we're comfortable with and that's where we want to remain a lot of times. We're asking them to come out of their comfort zone and kind of meet us closer to the middle. And it's a it's a learning curve and it's a process. And they're not just wired to immediately say, oh, I understand what you're thinking. Let me, you know, let me think about how you're, put myself in your shoes. That's a fun lesson, the put myself in your shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have kids literally asking if you're going to take your shoes off and <laughs> trade with them. Um, and, and again, I think something else that Michelle Garcia Winter was great about bringing to the forefront is not assuming that kids are learning this on their own, that things have to be explicitly taught and that sometimes you think you've taught it you've broken it down enough times and then usually that means you need to break it down even further that not everything is you know they're not acquiring this just naturally you have to explicitly teach um we talk about you know we were talking about a student that wasn't understanding that you could think a thought in your own head it was almost like everything has to come out of your mouth verbally what does it mean to think a thought and that was such a kind of mind-blowing thing for me to watch happen to realize wow you have to break down what is a thought what does thinking yeah. a thought actually mean? Well, and I think it was that same student, actually. The first time we used one of my favorite tools, the incredible five-point scale, mm-hmm. and we he was into dancing and mm-hmm. b-boy dancing. Mm-hmm. And so he had um, a five-point scale where he got to pick out the pictures of his interests, and it really mm-hmm. helped him buy into, and I think it was like a reactivity scale, so have him having big reactions to small 
problems and it was like well that was a whatever level five b-boy dance he chose (laughs) but we've also had you know i remember a kid had like a black and white tuxedo cat as his five and a russian cat as a one and so i think like really engaging in their interest and like you said you could totally back away from it over time Mm -hmm. but getting them comfortable with the concept and i think too with the gen ed teacher piece like i feel like they have their own competing priorities of like Mm -hmm. meeting curriculum standards and all this stuff that adding one more thing so how do we help everyone recognize and help understand and help them through that it's not always just one more thing you can actually engage it into your learning and not have to change or adjust much of your practice in some ways yeah i think i mean kind of going back onto what i had said um i think the like mcas and curriculum standards and all of that is such a huge pressure on particularly gen ed teachers that they don't really ever get the opportunity to learn about um different things that kids that will spark a kid's interest and maybe just keep them in the classroom so that they don't have to leave and go see that special ed teacher who's maybe overloaded with all different cases because these particular kids are having um difficulties with math or in reading because they're not interested and it's not that they can't do it it's just how do you spark their interest um where they do want to engage in reading or writing and or math or anything um and personally i was like i would like to see a focus of more of the what's going to benefit the kids rather than the standards of the Mm. state and all all of that and, and we will say that that MCAS is, is specific that, yeah. to Massachusetts, but it, it oh. fits with any standardized yeah. testing assessments that kids need to do mm-hmm. as just part of statewide, you know, the other statewide requirements. Um, and I think that's where the shift, sorry, the shift of the education, right? All the pressures are on these teachers, especially mm-hmm. this year, but like all these pressures are on these teachers. At what point do we make a larger educational change mm-hmm. to really meet kids where they're at? And I feel like so many things are so archaic in education across the country Mm -hmm. i mean we're lucky we're in massachusetts and things are much more progressive but i can only imagine how other states are handling the curriculum standards and what the push is and the direct instruction versus project-based learning versus and And what their resources are right you know i mean and and, and what their education level in terms of autism i mean we talk about social thinking that doesn't mean everybody in the country in the world knows social thinking just because it's something that we're very familiar with i mean i would think about too you look at a couple of students in your classroom let's say that are identified as being on the spectrum and they're having maybe some behaviors they're having outbursts we think back to how do you structure and it doesn't just have to be for those students right it can be for everybody in the room how do you structure and work with those kids where it doesn't need, you don't necessarily need specialists. You don't need, you know, you could use an OT, you could use a speech pathologist, you know, you could use a clinical person, but you don't always need those specialized roles to accommodate for some of these needs and and concerns. And if we get back to that consistency piece and that follow through and helping, we talked about this in a podcast a while ago about making sure that teachers have access to trainings and feel like they are up to date on neurodiversity, for example, you know, working with kids that have different profiles and how do you adjust your teaching style and your approach to help kids be successful in the classroom? I think one of the big things, okay, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, I think that 
I mean, on the topic of children with ASD that are rigid and um, don't have that flexible thinking and are unable to put themselves in other people's shoes, I think a lot of um, senior teachers that maybe have been doing this for a long time and they have had a lot of people like really drilling that into their their brains that you have to have your curriculum look like this kids have to meet this certain standard where then all of a sudden you find a kid that's not and what's the reason why where I think that sometimes the adults are a little bit rigid Mm -hmm. in their approach to teaching where what can you do um get unstuck (laughs) how can we unstuck your brain unstuck your brain (laughs) (laughs) where you will still meet those standards but you're just adjusting the approach of your teaching rather than oh no we need to send this kid um, or like maybe he needs Give speech, him a special maybe he evaluation. Yeah, yeah, OT, or he needs an evaluation where he's going to be pulled out for a certain amount of time. And I think people forget, like, you want the kids to be the the most independent they can and um, focus and on their strengths. Yeah. To your point, one of the good things that I really loved using, I feel like it's universal with all kids, not just kids on the spectrum, is controlled choices. Giving kids the ability to choose within control, right? So if you want them to complete the math assignment, but they are stuck on completing a social studies project, you can say, we have to get this math done. You can choose to do X, you know, social studies first or math, or, you know, we have the next three days, these assignments are due. What order do you want to complete them in? Giving those concrete controlled choices, I feel like is really helpful for kids on the spectrum who have that rigidity and have that thought stuck in their head about, what they perceive as what they perceive that they need to do or what they perceive that the order in which something should be done or something along those lines. Almost giving them the controlled choices is an adult is not telling you what exactly to do and how to do it. It's more, Oh, okay. I have, well, if I want to do this first, um, then I'll do that next. Like they're able to almost make like their own schedule um, or routine, um, which I think builds their self-confidence. Um, I think a lot of kids, uh, if I just sit at your desk giving them that direction, they, no, I'm not sitting at my desk just because you just because you are the teacher and you asked me that. But I think so you can sit or stand at your desk. That was a, a huge thing. Sometimes I would even let them sit on their desks Whoa. while we were doing something wow. <laughs> yeah and they yeah they thought it was great and they but they always had multiple choices and I think it wasn't just one and I mean personally I would never expect I can't sit still myself but <laughs> I think giving an option just the way you're sitting at your desk or being at your desk is very important. Well, and it takes away the the power struggle piece of it, right? It's not about, I have to do this, so I'm going to dig into this. It's like, oh yeah, sure. You know what? I would love for you to be a part of math. So if I can just alter how you're sitting or standing and that's going to get you to be a part of math, that's fine. I mean, you know, in my experience working with kids on the spectrum, they're definitely rule followers. So having that schedule up there and the appointments that they have and, you know, what changes might happen in the day I mean all that previewing I know it seems very kind of basic and and obvious but the more the previewing 
and the consistency happens and just expecting that like here's what this block looks like math looks like this i mean we talk about the get ready do done where you know from sarah is that that's sarah ward mm-hmm. right yeah let me call out sarah ward um the get ready do done we talk about this with executive functioning of showing them exactly what's expected showing them pictures of their actual desk this actual time during the day that's a struggle for them here's what it should look like for you and giving them that context because i think ultimately they want to do the the right thing but there's this rigid this you anxiety know, anxiety is such a p- huge piece i mean i would say categorically every single child that i've worked with on the spectrum has anxiety and it doesn't necessarily have to be a separate disorder it's just part and parcel of that um, diagnosis but i think making sure that we are giving them the feeling of they are have some some control over some things they know what's coming they know what's changed they know what's expected of them you start to alleviate that anxiety you know, I can think of a student where the idea of just accomplishing little successes was such a self-esteem builder that she was able to then take on more and more challenges. And that's just the learning process that, and again, this is not overnight, but having this memory of, oh, I was able to do that once. I was able to, to work through this challenge and was successful. So I can apply that and they start to get a little more open-minded about it, a little more flexible, a little more risky. They take more risks with their learning and you see that they start to feel more um, agency about their ability to function as a student. And that's just, it's awesome to watch. I mean, that process is fantastic to see. Well, going back to your point about them being um, truth tellers, mm-hmm. so why not engage that, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's like, I there's a you know there's a kid that I worked with recently that would call out when he didn't like the lesson or the activity, and it was, you know, he used, boring. <laughs> yep, yep, he would yell boring, um, or he would maybe throw in a an, a four letter word mm-hmm. before the boring, bleeping boring. Why not engage and say like, how is this boring? How would you like to see? You know, we have to learn this. How would you like to see it? Would you like to see it this way or that way? And I think engaging in that way um, because they are honest. And I will say this: if that happens, and then they, so I mean, let's not. You know, we're not going to yeah. live in a in a fairy tale world with unicorns. So I'd love to, but so you say to the student that says this is bleeping boring okay, how would you like to change it? And they say something, again, unexpected to you. You know, there's a way to process through that and to help get them back on track. It's not an immediate, you know, the punitive approach isn't necessarily going to work. I mean, Lauren, I know that you, um, I feel that you're kind of an expert in how to turn those kind of outbursts or things that are not necessarily going with the flow of your class at that time into something a little more positive. Do you have some thoughts on how that could look? Yeah, when thinking about, um, Danielle, you were saying about the student just blurting out, um, which we know is a very big piece of ASD, like holding things in. Executive functioning. <laughs> and Bubble thoughts. Bubble thoughts and that impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of students express their feelings on <laughs> what we're doing in class and if they like it or not. Um, but kind of going back to just validating their feelings and be like oh yep i absolutely understand that you think this is boring but then actually taking a little more of like a personal approach like oh what did you think was boring about it um and then adjusting your teaching or the lesson plans um maybe particularly for that student or for the whole group um because 
maybe that is the only student that's verbally shouting it out that they think this is bleeping boring, but the rest of the group may be thinking the same thing. Um, And actually, that's a good insight to your lessons and do I need to change this? This is not a fun lesson. It's not engaging, um, I think is pretty important. And I actually wanted to go back to the previewing. I think a a lot of teachers, um, like previewing, particularly students with ASD is super important, but going again back to the personal relationship, checking in with that kid and letting that, you've already previewed with the group, but also what, when, because this is not happening or because this is now happening, what is your plan? What do you need? Um, what's going to be hard? What's going to be easy? Like almost digging a little bit deeper into it. Um, I've seen it happen so many times where that kid is able to successfully get through it and they feel good about themselves. Well, you can also go through the schedule, right? When school starts in the, or before school starts in the morning, talk about what you have on the agenda today and what activities are going to be more challenging. Does that child have those future glasses to be able to look at well, I, science is really a tough class for me, or social studies is where this happens. So having them start to have that ownership over, you know, here are the things that I struggle with. That's such a huge self-awareness piece that I think is like that maturity. I struggle with this. Here's what I can do. How can you help me? How can I help myself? And fostering that independence. I will also say that as far as like the boring lessons where I do appreciate <laughs> tweaking what you do to kind of bring in the engagement of your students. I also think, you know, that may not always be the reason. And sometimes I think it's that perspective taking conversation of, you know, I appreciate that this isn't necessarily your favorite thing. And, you know, it's still expected that you're a student who has to learn this topic. And this is the way that, you know, we can, we can work around it a little bit, but, you know, just because you don't like something doesn't mean that we Mm -hmm. shout it out that we don't like it in a, in a really um, negative way how can we work with the fact that this is challenging and is that where you play in with some incentives or you know sort of that encouragement of life is not always going to cater to the things you like or enjoy so how do we tolerate and coexist within that space to then you know maybe you do get something initially i mean we do talk about rewards and incentives as being a huge piece um for asd kids and i think you know it's a balance it's figuring out could i tweak it and work around it but can i also just kind of have that social coaching around it as well and when you're able to tweak it if you're able to any specific lesson it gives them some ownership so that you can actually call them on it Mm -hmm. when they actually had some choice Mm -hmm. in it and so you can say like this is how you told me to do it the fact that this isn't you're not still not following Mm -hmm. along you're still not completing the work like that that clearly wasn't the reason let's talk about it and then the other um piece that I just lost so I'll pass it off to someone else I like the very black and white approach like oh you told me to do this and this is what happened I think we talk about that with strategies as well but that's oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you told me that break was gonna work for you and you were come back in five minutes and be a student and look what happened yeah and then previewing it or even having like a opportunity for the student to advocate no 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 I can't tell you how many times I've heard a student say no 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 I swear swear to god that I'm gonna be able to do it the next time Mm. and it's very hard to honestly give them that chance particular students I will and if they do then that's an option but I think being consistent and 
you know, like the previewing and previewing yeah. before and after. Is well, I love helpful. the oops board. The mm. oops yes. board if things change. But also, I think something else that um, when I've worked uh, with teachers in different capacities, um, having some sort of nonverbal. So if it is a bubble thought and it's not mm. an expected time for them to say something, holding up a bubble thought sign mm-hmm. or like giving some sort of direction or signal, like this isn't the expected time. Or well, the visuals, like if they have visuals on their desk, that's also great for them to, you know, sometimes we've had kids where it's like a, you know, an on or off a red or green. I'm, I'm good. I'm not good. Like giving them the ability to communicate as well in a sort of nonverbal visual way so that the teacher understands what's happening with the student doesn't necessarily have to be something that everybody in the room is noticing and it starts to go from this feeling of like i'm get, i'm outbursting i'm loud i'm affecting the whole group to i'm keeping this between the teacher and i the well, paraprofessional and, and there's a social component of that too mm-hmm. sometimes right so sometimes kids are just trying to get the attention of their peers yes. because they have no how other so, understanding yeah. on how to do it how so they say something we always talk about um the unthinkables from michelle garcia winner and one of them is was funny once mm-hmm. and i feel like oh, I kids that, that get the laugh the <laughs> that first guy time is a culprit yeah. every day of my life kids that say, say something the first time and other kids laugh now they think it's funny mm-hmm. so they're just going to continue to disrupt class because mm-hmm. they thought the first time they said this is effing boring and other kids laughed mm-hmm. um, they're going to continue saying it right because it's social norm yes. so it, it, I think that's where things like um, restorative circles or things where you have you build a group community where you can talk about like wow this is really affecting the group how can you get attention in another way or having your peers describe how they would prefer um, giving you attention mm-hmm. or how they would react to you yeah because you also can run that risk that not you know they laugh and then the next 17 times you do it they're rolling their eyes they're slamming their fist on the desk they're putting their head down they're asking you to stop and now it's created this this negative social interaction rather than it being funny and we can relate we all think it's boring oh wait but now you won't stop Mm -hmm. and now it's something that interests them like I don't know, like genetics or something in yeah. biology or whatever, and you're annoying them because this is something you're actually interested in learning as mm-hmm. a, you know, neurotypical peer, and you're like, what that, yeah, what the mm-hmm. heck is this kid doing? This is so annoying, yeah. and now it tr- turns the tables. Mm-hmm. So, well, anything else? <laughs> about this topic. <laughs> I mean, look, I think that we know that we could go on and on and on about this topic, and I think we could definitely have a part two, three, four. Um, this is a good little snippet of just kind of our thoughts on, especially considering, you know, trying to keep kids in the classroom, keep kids in their, you know, their settings and not necessarily having to move them to other, you know, options um, that are more restrictive. How do you work with that type of brain the diverse brain and you know keep them within you know the milieu that they're they're accustomed and and work with that rather than just say well we can't deal with this someone else needs to sometimes that's the case we certainly understand that but i think there are kids that we can work with them in there you know where they are already so if you liked this um, podcast and you have liked us so far give us some five star feedback on your uh so where you're podcast platform i can speak today we're your podcast (laughs) platform uh where you may listen to us we're also we would love ideas and topics that make sense to you um so follow us on at unstuck podcast one on facebook twitter we have a tiktok video two tiktok videos up now so uh asking you shall receive although no one asked we just told you that we were going to be doing it um yeah facebook instagram twitter and LinkedIn and um, yeah, 
follow us and like us and all of that good stuff. We're going to do a random topic generator for today. Okay, so the random question today, my friends, is how many email addresses do you have? Oh, boy. Oh, and, and I'm going to say this. I still have email addresses from the archaic stone age of the internet. So AOL. it's no, I don't have AOL. So I will say that it's not AOL, but it's pretty darn close. Mm. Um, I definitely have not up. I don't even know if people use email. So I also think I'm not sure how often, I mean, email seems like a more work related thing. I'm not sure how many people send you a personal email. Like at this point in time, if you get a personal email from someone, you're probably thinking that's spam. There's something that's a, that's like a, a phishing <laughs> situation. So I don't want to click on that, but I have probably three or four counting work i have at least 10 i feel like whoa I have like, wow well i have one for my dog do you remember the marcus pa- smart the dog do you remember the <laughs> passwords of all those no i have no idea but um so for a while to make sure that my facebook was pri- my personal facebook was private and my other ones i would create another email and set up another facebook to make sure that you couldn't see any of my pictures <laughs> or anything up so i did that a few times because i would always forget the password and also the email mm-hmm. itself totally understand um, that i tried to when i got married tried to change my email and that didn't work so i literally have the same email main email that i've had since like 2002 2000 blank yeah very early on I the, the early like, aughts yeah. the early gmail days yeah gmail is new to me i uh, you know me too lauren with my, <laughs> my google docs and google drive Listen that you. i um you're so fancy yeah. i'm in yeah which is weird to put uh, wedding plans into a Google Doc or Drive. But I have four. Okay. I'll give you a um, little insight on my very, um, what's the word I want to use? Old school father and mother who have a Juno account. What is Juno? I don't Juno? even know what Juno is. <laughs> Wow, um, is that? I when, mean, like, my parents still have AOL, but was I don't that know what when like um, hamsters were running the wheel of the internet? It tr- was, and I recently—it's funny that this came up. Recently, found this out. It was something uh, my father chose to get instead of AOL because it had to do with picking up the landline phone. Ooh. You would be able to check your email because I was wait like, from the phone. You could check your email that on the computer advanced. and it wouldn't um, cut you off of, or like close out AOL. Oh. And you wouldn't have to do the dial up. And uh, I have. He was forward thinking, that guy. He oh, yes. I was um, not so kind on the Juno accounts in my <laughs> comments towards my parents, but. After I heard that, I said, wow, that's actually uh, pretty smart. So You know what? If you're out there, Juno, and you want to contact us, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll sell ads for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll sell ads. We're there. Juno, Squarespace, any of them. Dial-up uh, internet. Dial-up internet. We're all yeah, in. We're here, we're, for, we're here for anything. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us, like us, give us five stars or a review if it's good. <laughs> um, and let us know of any suggestions that you have. Um, we have a plethora of ideas, but it's it's always good to hear what what's trending and topics for us to talk about and um yeah uh, at unstuck podcast one we appreciate all the listeners from all of the continents wow. and in the united states and um it's really cool to see uh, how many more listeners we get daily so thank you all so much and uh have a good night see ya bye Wow, that was smooth. I'm really good at this.